Well, hello and welcome to the More Than Sunday podcast. I'm Chris, and we're continuing in this second season of the podcast to think a little bit about what's happening in the adult education space, the equipped ministry, as we call it here at First Pres. And we had a great first episode where Julie Newberry talked to us about the New Testament and the interpretation that happened of the Old Testament in the the book of Acts, and that class has been going on this fall, and we're going to interview another of our equipped teachers. This is Barrett McCray. Barrett is a a professor at Wheaton College and also a practicing therapist, and he's going to be teaching a class on soul care that we'll talk a bit more about. But first, Barrett, let me just say uh, welcome, and and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. It's uh, delightful to be here with you. Okay, so before we get into the content of the class and what we're going to be talking about, tell us a bit about yourself, about how you come to find yourself in this podcast chair here in the basement of First Presbyterian Church. Well, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, Actually, um, my journey is one that started in ministry life. I was a youth pastor uh, and uh, just fell in love with working with young people and their families and found myself over time um, sort of gravitating toward uh, those young people that were hurting uh, and the families that were hurting. And the, um, I just found that it was a way, I think, in which the Lord had wired me and prepared me in my own life and my own journey, my own struggles that I had had along the way. Um, and so... I constantly found myself struggling to find words to say, to find answers to give, to find uh, the right ways to support and help, and fascinated by that, but also uh, challenged by it. Uh, And so I went back to school, uh, and I went back to school and studied psychology, primarily not really with the intent to become a psychologist, which I am, but to better equip myself to do the ministry that I was already doing. Uh, And so uh, my initial plan was to go back to that church where I was a youth pastor and set up a church-based counseling center. Uh, The Lord had other plans in mind, and so I uh, ended up teaching at Wheaton College uh, in the Christian Formation and Ministry Department. Um, And so teaching courses in pastoral care in the sort of space of overlap between historic pastoral care and contemporary mental and spiritual spiritual health. And I've just found a home there. I love that. Um, In addition to that, as you mentioned, I'm a practicing therapist. I'm part of a large group practice in Wheaton Alliance Clinical Associates, and I serve as a clinical director there, supervising other clinicians and seeing people myself. So I I love both of those spheres, the historic ministry and contemporary mental health, and find myself kind of right between the two. What a great story. Um, we are super excited that you're going to be teaching this upcoming class. Just give us a, a, a sense of what the class is about and why does the topic interest you? You know, it's, it's in part going back to my own story and that struggle that I had uh, as I was a young youth pastor trying to figure out how to help people. Uh, I began looking to other youth pastors and pastors, asking them, how do you do this? How do you sit with people? How do you know what to say? And what I got was encouraging and discouraging at the same time. They said, you know, uh, they listened to the Lord. They prayed desperately as I was. And it was encouraging to know that I hadn't missed out on something along the way. But discouraging in the sense that I, I felt like there there had to be... Um, 
there had to be answers, there had to be guidance for how to do this better. And so as I began to study, um, both through my graduate training and then afterwards, I began to discover the rich history of historic pastoral care and pastoral theologians who have written for millennia. Uh, about how we um, meet with people in the midst of their pain, how we walk alongside them. And that's the term soul care is one that is historic in the church for that particular kind of work. Uh, and discovered that about 100 years, 150 years ago, with the rise of the contemporary mental health field and psychotherapy and all that goes along with that, there was a slow abdication of the historic ministry of pastoral care, where 200 years ago, virtually all of what we call mental health care today was done by churches throughout the West. Now, a lot of that is... Uh, rooted in the mental health field. And that's not necessarily bad, or I, I wouldn't be a psychologist if I thought that was bad. Um, but um, we live in this time when there is a, uh, a real dichotomy, a split, not only in how we perceive things like scientific ways of knowing and faith ways of knowing or spiritual ways of knowing, but also between how we think of the human person and our physical or psychological needs and our spiritual needs. And so those have been segregated out in a way that honestly I don't think is helpful. And we'll talk about that in the class, but we'll also look at a little bit of the history of this some of the contemporary manifestations of this, and then just talk in general about what's the implication of all of that for us as we live our life in Christ. And what are some of the things that you would say either you are learning or you have learned about the integration of mental health care and spiritual care of theology and psychology? Great question. Um, Psychology, uh, in the general field, is really interesting. There was a, a movement far away from spiritual uh, ways of knowing or the whole idea of spirituality for a long time, but there's been a shift back. Uh, and so, psychology is, is in some ways growing in a fascination with spirituality, but not necessarily... Uh, evangelical Christian spirituality. And so, uh, the spirituality of uh, Eastern mysticism or the spirituality of um, Islam or all different kinds of ways that the field is sort of uh, poking into that. And over in the church, there sometimes is a uh, kind of a bipolar reaction to psychology. Uh, sometimes it's a, a too... Um, reactive in the sense of rejection of. On the other hand, sometimes we're too quickly embracing without thoughtfully uh, parsing through. And so what's missing is the collaboration across. And the field of Christian psychology has emerged in the last 50 years or so and is really addressing that and beginning to work on that. Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done to correct what I think is an error in the separation out of those two. As you're speaking, it reminds me of um, an experience I had in college with um, two professors, and, and one was the, the absolute worst science professor I've, I've ever had. She uh, taught a class called World Oceans. I think it was me and then everybody from like the football and basketball team in this class. So, And she was someone who had wanted to be a surfer and then decided, eh, I can't do that. Anyway, she starts the class and she says, 
hey, I just made a, a deal with the religion department. They stay out of my department and I stay out of theirs. And then the, the most brilliant physics professor I've ever had said the exact opposite. He said, I cannot teach you physics without teaching you theology. As we get into this, you're going to be learning. What would you say might be some things that the field of psychology has to give to Christians and, and to the church? And what are things that people approaching psychology or therapy from a faith basis uh, might be able to offer to psychology? I'll start with the second and then move to the first. Uh, um, you know, Paul says uh, in Second Thessalonians, I believe it is, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Uh, and the idea in that, I, I don't think, is that we don't grieve, nor do, you know, it's not that we don't experience the depths of pain that go with grief, but there's a fundamental fabric of hope that makes it a little bit different. Uh, and that is missing in many ways from... Uh, the paradigms that are there in contemporary mental health to really think through hope as a resource, hope as a sustaining factor. Uh, we too often tend to think of hope in the realm of the things that we hope for. And those can be deep, meaningful things like I hope for health and vitality for my children. But I also hope for a good dinner tonight, you know, or a bowl of ice cream or, you know, whatever. I hope for trivial things as well. Um, but those things are things that uh, may or may not come to pass. Uh, and this gets into a deeper theological question of what does God promise or not promise us. But sometimes we hope for things that we end up discovering God is not going to offer that in my lifetime. And sometimes those are deep, long, painful stories. Um, and so when I'm meeting with people who are really struggling to find anything realistically in life to hope for, the question is not what do you hope for, but what do you put your hope in, and how does that sustain you? Uh, and theological traditions, uh, the depths of faith and the literature of the faith that speak to the substance and the fabric and the vitality of hope and what it brings is something that is really needed in the mental health field and how we assess people, how we understand what are the resources that you have to sustain you. And too often, uh, mental health professionals are trained to to put all of that in the realm of faith and spirituality and leave it out of the conversations. On the other hand, there are tremendous resources in the mental health field as it continues to study um, the nature of woundedness uh, and how we respond to that woundedness in ways that really do make a difference in people's lives. And just a couple of examples, um, the recent uh, focus on trauma and deeply understanding trauma and how trauma, uh, especially complex trauma, can impact people over a lifetime and affect physical health and all those sorts of things. And so there's, there's wonderful new understandings that are emerging in that. Or the study of the brain, and these aren't separate from each other, that's part of studying trauma, how we're coming to understand the brain's functioning. Uh, it affects how we think of things like uh, being anxious, you know, and the scriptures talk about being anxious. And sometimes uh, I think we may misunderstand some of what the scriptures say about that. And our studies of brain physiology are uh, offering 
very helpful understandings of what's going on in the brain when people experience anxiety. I can recall a particular instance in uh, my time in ministry when uh, someone came in, he set an appointment to come in, he was uh, clearly troubled, and he said, I I just wanted to come in and have you pray for me. I'm um, I'm just feeling, and he kind of went through some of the things that, that he's feeling, and I said, I, I am more than happy to pray for you. I also think you're describing something that is physiological, and if you came in with a broken leg and wanted me to pray for you, I would absolutely pray for you, and then I would say, hey, let's go see an orthopedist because I think there's something he can do about it, and it really began a journey for uh, this person of saying, okay, this is not, this is a spiritual issue, but this is not just a spiritual issue. It's also a psychological issue. It's also a physiological issue and beginning to kind of uh, come at the issue from from multiple different places. Absolutely, and, and what you're highlighting is that there are overlap in all of these things. We want to, because of historic uh, factors like the Enlightenment and things like that, we want to separate them out in a way that I don't think they're fully uh, separable. So there is a difference between psychological and spiritual Uh, but they're not totally distinct from each other. There's a difference between psychological and physical, but they're not totally distinct from one another. And those areas of overlap are ones where uh, we find ourselves um, treading in what society sometimes today wants to see as somebody else's turf. So a pastor is dealing in stuff, you know, that um, the mental health field wants to claim as their turf, or mental health people are dealing in something that physicians want to say, hey, that's that's our turf. And that sort of, um, uh, that split between those is less than helpful. What's needed is a more holistic way of looking at these things and collaboration. Uh, and I, that's my hope, you know, in the future as these things continue to unfold, that there will be, um, there will be opportunities for deep collaboration between pastors and counselors and work that's done in people's care. I share that hope. Uh, I want to take a little bit of a shift here. Uh, it's been my experience in the church that people are just wired differently, that for some folks, uh, worship is just a, a deep language of connection with God. And, and for other folks, uh, they might be a little more intellectual. They grow in their uh, connection with God through through study. And some people are extroverts and some people are introverts. And you know we all have these different approaches. I think the same is true when it comes to thinking about soul care and thinking about um, the psychology of faith even, right? So some people, you know, they're in the first 10 minutes I'm talking to them, they say, well, I'm an Enneagram three with a seven wing. And they're just, you know, super into uh, self-reflection and, and understanding that piece. And then other folks would say, maybe a little bit like the earlier on when you said, from a faith perspective, I'm averse to this whole psychological, you know, component thing. Talk to the person for whom this is this is brand new. They haven't even really thought of themselves as like necessarily a psychological being. Um, for that person who might be interested in coming to the class, but they're they're just starting to dip their toe uh, into the pool. What would you want them to take out of this experience? It's a great question. Um, you know, 
sometimes uh, the terms we use are too loaded. Even the term psychological, like you're saying, it it can evoke reactions in people either because of family experiences or teachings that they've heard or things like that. Um, the term psychology, interestingly enough, is based on Greek roots, and the Greek roots of psychology would translate directly the study of the soul. What it's become in contemporary psychology is the study of mind and behavior, or the study of emotions, and it loses the, the depth and breadth of a biblical understanding of the soul. Uh, when we think of a biblical understanding of us as human beings, the scriptures talk about our emotional life uh, and how that impacts our relationships not only with one another but with God. The scriptures talk about our thought life and how that can shape our behavior, how that can shape uh, how we relate one to another and to God. Um, scriptures talk about our our relationships. They talk about how we exist in society at large and what it means to gather together as a group of people. All these kind of ideas uh, are things that are studied by the field of psychology. Uh, the difference between how it's studied there and how it's studied in theological uh, settings sometimes has to do with methodologies that we use. Sometimes it has to do with assumptions uh, about what can or can't be considered. And so on a very basic level, what we're going to be talking about is what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to live life well and fully and healthily uh, as God wants us to, when Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. What is that? You know, and what gets in the way of that? And we all know things in life that get in the way of that, whether that be losses that we experience or inner struggles that we have or breaks in relationships or all sorts of things that cause us to struggle as um the psalmist talks about, you know, oh, why am I so downcast in my soul? So we're not delving into things uh, as Christians in the realm of psychology that are not a part of the questions that emerge from life in the community of faith or the teachings of the scriptures. And so sometimes it's a matter of deciphering the language that's used in different spheres and seeing what can be gleaned from um you know, the, the vast amount of work that's been done by people trying to understand human pain and how to help. You mentioned uh, the things that can get in the way of our experiencing life to the fullest. I think if we were to ask many folks, one of the most common answers we would hear would be frenzy, right? Just utter busyness. And it, it strikes me that uh, as people are listening to this conversation, it is highly likely that they're multitasking, right? That they're listening to us talk about soul care as they're driving to pick up their kids from hockey or as they're headed through the fast food line because there wasn't time to go shop for organic food and come home and marinate it and, you know, um, whatever it is that they're doing. As I visualize the person listening, I'm not seeing them sitting beside a crackling fire and a 100% focused on you and me as uh, uh, compelling as, as the two of us are. What wisdom would you offer to, um, to a generation of us that are just overwhelmed with busyness and screen and noise? I, um, 
you know, my sons have their phones and I limit their screen time and I'm aware of the hypocrisy of limiting their screen time and also being available myself via email and text through all hours of the day. How might we begin to kind of carve out places of sanctuary to start doing this kind of soul care work? Uh, I think the first thing we have to do is to not shame ourselves for um, uh, for struggling to adapt in this technological world that we live in, nor for shame ourselves for living in the kind of environments that Glen Ellen or Wheaton, where I'm from. I mean, these are uh, these are contexts where the culture of life is high-paced, pressured, and we all feel that. Uh, and so, uh, I don't think it's it's helpful to lose the ideal of the crackling fire, you know, and and carving out spaces and time. But sometimes that's just not possible. You know, you're 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 working and you've got small children and you rush from your job to pick up your kids from daycare and then you're on, you know, t- taking care of your kids until hopefully they get to sleep and then you crash and and when is the time that you can devote to your own soul and to your own growth? And so, um, I love the way John Ortberg put it. He wrote this book on. There's so many different books on spiritual disciplines, which is a part of soul care. How we attend to the four formation um, of our character and the formation of our relationship with God. It's a book entitled, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. And one of the things that he talks about is, yeah, it's great to practice historic um, spiritual disciplines where we carve out time to devote to those things. But it's also possible to look at the things that we are already doing in everyday life uh, and to infuse them with uh, attentiveness to the Spirit of God and what God is doing in our life. So, as you said, people are listening to this as they're driving in their car, and what they are doing in doing that is a form of soul care, but they're multitasking, hopefully paying enough attention to where they're driving that they don't get in an accident or anything. But it, it's it's possible to um, to just be aware. I talk about this, about this with my students. There's a way to study that's just about me and my study. There's also a way to study where I'm dialoguing with the Spirit of God, even as I'm studying. Uh, there's a way to walk across campus and... You know, just be uh, aware of self and others around. There's another way to walk across campus where uh, we're attending to uh, how does God want me to live with those around me? Uh, and so there's a way to to make even everyday things that are a part of our daily life infused with um, with a relationship with God, but also an attentiveness to um, so how this deepens my soul. Well, Barrett, I so appreciate you uh, taking the time to come in and um, share with us not only a bit about the class, but a bit about what's going on in, in your mind and, and where your passions are. I'm excited about this class coming up on uh, Sunday mornings and looking forward to the blessing that you will be to the congregation. Okay, folks, thanks for joining us this time on the More Than Sunday podcast. We so appreciate you being here with us, and we'll see you next time.